0: Hello, I'm Austin McCormick, and you're listening to The Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Today, I'm very uh, happy to have a special guest on the Covenant Podcast. We formerly had him on the podcast when it was named the Covenant, or excuse me, the Context is Key Podcast. Today, I have Brother Jimmy Johnson. Uh, We introduced him last time as the pastor of Vista Baptist Church in Vista, Missouri, graduate of Missouri Baptist University, student of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So welcome to the Covenant Podcast today, Brother Jimmy.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Today, I have asked Brother Jimmy to come on and uh, lecture us via podcast format over the man that is and was Andrew Fuller. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the life of Andrew Fuller?
1: Yeah, I can. Um, Andrew Fuller, uh, he was born in. England in 1754. He was born into a Baptist family, and both of his parents were Baptists. Two of his grandmothers were Baptists. His family would eventually move to a place called Soham, and he would grow up in that church. And the pastor of that church was, let me see if I can find it here. I can't remember his name. I believe it was John Eve. I can't recall his name exactly, but John Eve was a a hyper-Calvinist who had been influenced by Jonathan Brine as well as John Gill. So Andrew Forrest, growing up in church, he listened mostly to hyper-Calvinist preaching, which hyper-Calvinism and what distinguishes it from regular Calvinism or historical Calvinism is this idea of being against offering the gospel to the unconverted. Um, They didn't believe that it was loving to do it because they thought that if they are unable to respond to the gospel, it is not loving to share it with them or to expect them to be obedient to it. But so Andrew Fuller growing up really had no interest in Jesus or, or Eve's preaching. He just went. But eventually, when he was a little bit older he he had a conversion experience in spite of eve's preaching um and as he grew up and grew in his knowledge of the faith he began to read people he read a lot of john gill he 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 then would eventually read people like jonathan edwards um jonathan owen as well as john bunyan um so a lot of Johns in, in that day, I suppose, but <laughs> a lot of reading Johns in that time. But John Eve, the pastor of Soham Baptist Church, would eventually be, resign due to controversy, and they would go without a pastor for a while, and a guy that was mentoring Andrew Fuller said that Andrew Fuller should try preaching. So Andrew Fuller preached, and, and they, they recognized his gifts, and they, they eventually called him to pastor and he pastored there for a little bit. But as he was there, he began to reject some of the things that he had been taught while by his pastor, Eve, and as well as by his reading of John Brine, as well as John Gill. And he began to believe that we should offer the gospel to the unconverted. In fact, we should demand that they believe it. And he came to these conclusions by reading people like John Bunyan, John Owen, and Jonathan Edwards. And the church began to grow. People began being converted under his ministry, and the church actually didn't like that. The one that he was pastoring did not like that he was presenting the gospel to the unconverted, encouraging them to to come to Christ. So in 1782, he he eventually actually resigned from that position and and took a church in or a church called Kettering Baptist Church. So he was at Soham just for a short little bit and while he was there he met some important people like John Ryland Jr. and John Sutcliffe who would become lifelong friends of his but he eventually left that first church because they were not in line with his convictions of offering the gospel to the unconverted. And while, shortly after going to Kettering, he released what was his probably most influential work, The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation. And he actually had written the book while he was pastoring at Soham, but waited to publish it because he was afraid of the controversy that it would bring. And But some of his friends like Ryland and Sutcliffe encouraged him to release the book. To, to publish it. And when he did, it did bring controversy. It brought controversy from Armenians. It brought controversy from high Calvinists. He, he was just embroiled in controversy. And really, that would set the trajectory for his whole ministry. He was always kind of the guy that particular Baptists would encourage to respond to all the false teachings of their day. There were other ones like, um, man, I'm drawing a blank on my names right now. Well, there were others. (laughs) I'll just say that. There were others that would respond to to controversies, but Andrew Fuller was the one that they would go to. He would end up pastoring at Kettering Baptist Church the rest of his life for about 37 years, but eventually his convictions of preaching the gospel to the unconverted and, and his books and his works came to a man by the name of William Carey. And William Carey is not unimportant to Baptist (laughs) or church history, but William Carey um, applied what Andrew Fuller had written in The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation to taking the gospel to the heathen across the nations. And Carey essentially drew upon Andrew Fuller as well as his friend Ryland Jr. and Sutcliffe, and, and they all came together and formed what would be called the Baptist Missionary society and that would be what would send William Carey as well as his friends to India Um, and when it was formed Andrew Fuller became its secretary he he ended up going all across um, England and Europe trying to gather funds for the missionary society and so Andrew Fuller I mean in a nutshell he was a pastor he was a theologian he uh he also was influential in, in the modern missionary movement. If you, if you were to say that William Carey is the father of it, we might say that Andrew Fuller is the grandfather of the modern missionary movement. But to sum up his life, he, he, he was just faithful all the way to the end. You know, like I said, he pastored that church for 37 years, died at a relatively young age of 61. He actually probably, um, wore himself out. Uh, that's probably how he ended up dying, just burnt himself out to the degree of, of physical exhaustion and then death. And he would actually die um shortly after listening to his congregation worship while he he laid in his his parsonage. So that's Andrew Fuller in a nutshell. There's a lot more that could be said about him though. Okay. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can. You cut out for a slight, a slight second, but I can still hear you. Um, so you mentioned uh, while you're giving a biographical of Fuller's life, the work that he published while there was uh, potential controversy going around. What are some of the other? Uh, what are some other prominent works of Andrew Fuller's that Christians should con- study, consider studying? Mm-hmm
1: well the one i mentioned is worth mentioning again just because it it was so important and that is the gospel worthy of all acceptation that that was his first major work he published but it also would end up being one of his main books throughout the rest of his life um other ones would be the calvinistic and sasonian systems examined and compared that's when he debated modern day unitarians during that time Um, another one would be the gospel and its own witness. That's when he debated the, the deist of, of his era. Um, and there were lots of them. I mean, even just across the pond here in the United States, there were several people who were deist. And then another one would be strictures on Sandemanianism, which is not a popular heresy that you hear about today, but essentially during that time, it it would be akin to like easy believism. Today that that the gospel, that believing the gospel was believing in a bare truth. It was bare belief and bare truth. It didn't require any supernatural working of God. It just required a, a change of the mind, essentially. And then one other work that might be one of his more accessible works is the memoirs of the late. Reverend Samuel Pierce. And Samuel Pierce was a younger friend of Andrew Forrest. He actually would have been around the same age as William Carey. He ended up dying of tuberculosis. I believe he might have only been 39 years old. I can't remember the exact age. But in his short life, Samuel Pierce preached the gospel faithfully. Many were converted under his ministry and andrew fuller wrote this biography kind of modeling it after jonathan edwards work on david Brainerd. so andrew forward would even say in his biography that that samuel pierce is like a baptist david Brainerd is basically what he was trying to argue and that one was published in multiple editions even in fuller's own lifetime which would have been a big deal um so those would be some of his major works
0: okay uh, we've mentioned some names of who was influenced by uh, Fuller and who influenced Fuller himself. Can you give a brief mm-hmm. synopsis of those, again, in a more acute, sharp way in this portion of yeah. the podcast?
1: Yeah, uh, some of his early influences would have been people who were popular during that day, especially among Baptist circles. John Gill, being the foremost, I mean John Gill wrote extensively, and John Gill was very important because he was kind of the the wall against Unitarianism within within Baptist life because he wrote extensively on the doctrine of the Trinity, defending against it, and while Presbyterians as well as General Baptists were all becoming Unitarian, Jonathan Gill kind of almost single-handedly kept Particular Baptists during that time from going liberal, or theologically liberal, and following the Unitarians at that day. So he he would have read um, John Gill's Dogmatics as well as John Gill's Commentaries. Uh, He also would have been familiar with Jonathan Brine, who was a friend of Gill's and also a pastor of a major church in England. He, he was a high Calvinist, so most of his early life, that's who he was reading. But also John Bunyan, he wrote, read Pilgrim's Progress several, several times throughout his life and was influenced heavily by that. And then um, Grace Abounding for Sinners by John Bunyan would have been another work he read. Jonathan Owen would have been a key influence. In fact, I believe Fuller said that Jonathan Owen was his his favorite, one of his favorite people to read, and he he did read him quite extensively, reading his works against Armenianism and and commentaries and things of that nature, and then. Probably the person you see most reflected in Fuller and Fuller's writings would be Jonathan Edwards, uh, especially in The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation. He, he kind of regurgitates in his own words many of the arguments that Fuller makes in Freedom of the Will um, against Against the Arminians in in the states that that Jonathan Edwards was writing against, and and one of the main arguments, I know this isn't a part of your question, but I I always find this this debate interesting. One of the main arguments in gospel gospel worthy of all acceptation came down to the nature of the will or the nature of total depravity. So Andrew or er, um, Jonathan Edwards was arguing against Arminians, whereas whereas. Fuller was mainly debating hyper-Calvinist, and yet the, he uses the same exact argument, and that is this distinction between the natural will of man and the moral will of man. Um, Fuller would basically argue that, that men's natural will, and, and I'll have to define those terms because it may, may sound confusing, but man's natural will is not um, affected by his depravity. And, and what he means by natural is like physical. Um, he's saying essentially that men have the physical capacities to understand and respond to the gospel. And, however, their moral will is depraved. They, they hate God and they hate the gospel. So if we were to make an analogy, Fuller might say something like, say you're running towards a cliff. Um, what the hyper-Calvinists believed, as well as Armenians thought calvinists believed, is that a man running towards the cliff about to go off is physically blind, and that's why he doesn't stop. He's physically blind, just runs off the cliff and dies. And Andrew Fuller would be like, no, that's not the right analogy. It's more as if man has the ability to see, but he's closing his eyes even though he knows the cliff is coming and just runs off. He, he's, he's forcing his eyes shut, unable to see it, which, which I think is quite a vivid picture, and I think it, it's more biblical in, in its understanding. And, and he uses that to, to defend this idea of presenting the gospel to the unconverted, and yet simultaneously believing that the unconverted cannot respond to the gospel appropriately unless God changes their nature and their affections. Because their affections are set against God, and and that argument comes from the Gospel worthy of all acceptation. but now to talk about the people who he influenced, which was actually a part of your question, um, William Carey would have probably been the most prominent pe- person that well actually that's not true, but William Carey was a person that he influenced greatly I mean, he was the secretary of the missionary Society while William Carey was in India, so he would have been responsible for um, collecting the letters that Carey sent back, but also writing letters to the missionaries there. And he wrote several letters to the missionaries there and to William Carey himself and, and kind of mentored William Carey theologically. Uh, and, and he would also defend the mission against people who were against it or high Calvinists that were against it. So William Carey would be one. Charles Spurgeon would be another big name that was uh, about a generation and a half later, but he was heavily influenced by by Andrew Fuller and even quoted Andrew Fuller quite a bit, and 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 had a theology that was very similar to Andrew Fuller's. He he was a Calvinist, but also he was adamant about offering the gospel and sharing the gospel with the unconverted. I mean, it's hard to say who else was influenced by Ford, but many Americans were. I mean, James P. Boyce, um, the founder of Southern Seminary, or the Southern Baptist Seminary, as you properly called it earlier. (laughs) Um, So James Boyce was influenced by him. Most of the founders of the SBC would have been um, influenced by him. and, And... let me think, is there anyone else of real note that was influenced by him? I mean, there were several people that didn't like him, but <laughs> but um those would be the main guys that most people would know about that he that he personally had a hand in influencing.
0: Okay. So what does Andrew Fuller mean to Baptist history?
1: Well, Andrew Fuller. He was a man who was willing to stand up for his convictions and and really was a man that brought about revival amongst English particular Baptists in the sense that he gave them the theological foundations they needed to be bold. And and he would be, his theology at the very least, they may not cite him or, or quote him, but his theology was a guiding principle in forming the missionary societies that would even exist in the United States. Um, the IMB is what it's called now, but I mean, the missionary societies in the U.S. Uh, borrowed heavily from from Fuller's theology at the very least. So Fuller is, in my opinion, the the kind of example that we need of someone who is both a pastor, a theologian, and we might call a statesman. He, he he was affiliated with his denomination and association, and he embodied all those things during his day when not everyone was, and he was unafraid to publish his convictions and unafraid to debate, but also he kind of sets an example for what debate was. He very, Actually, to my knowledge, he never assaulted the character of the people that he was disagreeing with even when they didn't assault his character or or accuse him of doing things he was always a man who who went after their ideas rather than the people themselves
0: and why should the christian study andrew fuller
1: because he's probably one of the most important people in baptist history i mean without andrew fuller uh, it could be argued that there would be no William Carey uh, or, or folks like Charles Spurgeon. Obviously, Fuller stands on the shoulders of people who go before him, but Fuller was very important in the fact that he influenced just a wide array of people who would go on to influence more people. So, I mean, even though Fuller might not be a household name in church history, people he influenced are. I mean, Charles Spurgeon clearly is known by most people, even people who hate Calvinism, like Charles Spurgeon, for some reason. But also William Carey and 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 folks like that. So I'd say that that's why Christians should study him. Well, would you mind if I just shared four applications from ahead. Andrew? Ford? Go ahead. Um, or four things that we can learn from him, and it it, it might be a little bit more than just talking about history, because some people's eyes will say Gla- glaze over as they're listening, as well as just their minds will shut off. Um, but number one, I would say something that we can learn from Andrew Fuller or apply from his life is pray for the conversion of the unconverted and and rely on the Holy Spirit. I mean, he was a man of prayer. He he was a man who who demanded that his congregation, as well as other congregations that he would interact with for the mission society, he, he would encourage them to pray for the unconverted. And, and, and I mean, even the Baptist Missionary Society developed out of a prayer meeting, which, which Fuller was out or at, um, secondly, participate well, Jimmy, in the proclamation you of the gospel coming on the through podcast holding today the rope us or going, and I use that language Andrew on Andrew Fuller
0: because I know that I personally Andrew will Fuller be listening told William a couple Kerry of times to he, chew to on all this William information Kerry that you dropped on the podcast go today. Down so I'm very grateful for people held the taking rope for your time. him. I know he would man. go
1: down into the well. That is the mission field. If someone would hold the rope for him, and he told that to people like Andrew Fuller, and Andrew Fuller took that that charge of William Carey the most seriously in the sense that he literally held the rope until he died. <laughs> and and he would travel all over just trying to get and secure funds, books, anything that the missionaries needed. He, he was going out regularly to try and gather it. So as a Christian, you should be one who is at the very least holding the rope for those that go and proclaim the, the gospel to the lost. But also, I would encourage you to go and share it with the lost, too. And Andrew Fuller did both. Three, proclaim sound doctrine. Andrew Fuller was always ready to defend the gospel against naysayers. He, he was always ready to take up the pen. And, and what's interesting is later in his life, he, some believe he had a stroke or something of that sorts, but he, he had chronic migraines that would keep him from reading. Um, that would hurt him. It would make him hurt to read, and yet he would still discipline himself to read the works of those who were publishing, and then he would write and respond to them, even though he suffered from chronic migraines and headaches. He was always ready to defend the gospel. So, I mean, a guy, I don't know if you've ever had a migraine, but migraines are miserable. I'm someone who has migraines, and, and I find it difficult to do anything, much less read and respond um, to the the false teachers of his day, um, and and he would write. He wrote extensively. There's three volume work by Banner of Truth just on Andrew Fuller's works, um, and then four promote strong devotion. So this one I think is fairly self explanatory. But in Andrew Fuller we see someone who is devoted all the way to the end of his life. Even when you read his more heady works, his works in which he's entangling with deep issues of controversy, there's always a devotional tone under them. He writes them because he cares about worship. He cares about defending the one true God against all the idols that were being presented in his day. And he just found, he cared about the truth that God had given him so much that he was willing to spend and devote great deals of time and sacrifice his, his time and even his life. Like I said, he kind of wore himself out. Um, I mean, we could criticize for and say that he may have needed to be more balanced in how he spent his time, but we cannot criticize him for his devotion and for his care for the gospel and for the church. His church loved him. Um, his family loved him and, and he was a man who embodied what it meant to be a Christian. Even his opponents said that they could only criticize his idea because he was a man of such his ideas, because he was a man of such integrity and, and faithfulness to God. And his and he was a man of strong friendships. And and I don't have this one written down, but <laughs> another one would be i I'd, I'd encourage people to develop and cultivate good friendships. Because that's what Andrew Fuller did. He had deep friendships with John Ryland. They wrote letters back and forth to one another. They they encouraged each other. He wrote letters to William Carey. He had a deep friendship with him. And then also John Sutcliffe. And there were just multiple people that were influenced by him, so much so that they would write how influential he was and how great of a man he was when he died. Because he developed these deep friendships. And out of these deep friendships, came the missionary society, the modern missionary movement. It was a movement started by friends. So developing friendships can have eternal impacts on the souls of people like it did those in India. And even in Burma, you'd have Ad Iram Judson who would go eventually and, and would interact with, with people like William Carey and, and be influenced by people like William Carey who were influenced by Andrew Fuller. So those, that'd be five, five applications of Andrew Fuller's life um, and ministry. Uh, Andrew Fuller's is someone who I like, and in my opinion, he should be studied more.
0: Well, now there you have it. You have five applications for why the Christian should uh, study the life of Andrew Fuller. Once, I, once again, Brother Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the Covenant podcast today. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: God bless you. God bless you, too. Thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like The Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.